Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Association NBA Podcast. Recording on January 7th, 2018, my name is Sam Ruthier. Joining me, as always, is Tommy Wood, who today is, is uh, hopping on the podcast from the road. Tommy, how are the interstates? Well, uh, we're about a third of the way through Nebraska after driving all the way across Iowa earlier today. Been on the road since about uh, 6.15 in the morning. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, you know, it's been a long trip, but uh, it's getting, we're getting closer to Colorado, so it's uh, that's good. That's always good. It's uh, he- he- being a veteran of that trip a couple times. I I know that Iowa Nebraska feeling well. God bless those yep. states, but they're they're pretty tough to drive state straight through. Uh, they are, yeah. Wishing you continued safe safe travels on the road. Well, uh. While we've got you in the car and myself in front of a microphone, seems like a, as good a time as ever for us to break down some some NBA and and something before we really dive into it is is just to make sure those folks out there, if you're listening, if you want to make sure you always catch the episodes as fresh as possible, you do have the option now to subscribe to us through iTunes podcasts. You can also check us out, as has been the case for the last few episodes, on Anchor.fm, which is where we've been able to have our audio hosted thus far. That's been great. Beyond that, you can catch us both on social media. We're, we're both fairly active on Twitter in, in different ways. I'm more of a retweet guy. Tommy's always got some great thoughts coming fresh. You can find Tommy at Woodstein72. You can find me at Sam Ruthier. One more shout-out we want to make sure we get in there is that music we've been playing at the beginning and end of our episodes does come from my bandmates in the Woolly Mammoths. Uh, they make beats in their spare time. They threw one to us that we could use for the podcast, and we absolutely appreciate that. So thanks to the Mammoths. You can also check us out on Spotify and Bandcamp if you're curious about more of our music. With that said, though, we are going to dive into some of the stories of the week. And we're going to start with one that... We talked about it a bit last week. We've got a little more now with Isaiah Thomas. The King in the Fourth has returned. He's played two games this season, and he's averaging 18 points in his return. He drops. Uh, he's not yet playing full minutes, but <clears throat> excuse me. He, he he has in under 20 minutes in two games already had some impressive. Uh, Shaking off the rust, if you want to call it that. Against Portland on the second, he had 17 in under 19 minutes. Against Orlando just last night, he had 19 in just over 20 minutes, actually, 21 minutes. Tommy, give me some thoughts on the return of Isaiah Thomas. So, Isaiah looked a lot better than I really expected him to so soon. Um, but what impressed me the most uh was his jumper. Um, It was really falling. He was 3 of 8 on threes against uh, Portland, 2 of 4 last night. Uh, We're doing this on a Sunday afternoon. He was 2 of 4 against Orlando on threes. And normally when you see a guy come back from a long, uh, taking a long break for injury, um, it takes a while for his jumper to get in rhythm. But he he was able to step in and and hit him. He was able to hit off the dribble. Um, That was really impressive. Um, but really the, the shot that was the most encouraging to me was that and one he hit um, against Portland going to his left in the paint. Um, you know, that was that was classic IT, and he, he threw himself around. He only took two shots in the paint uh, against Portland. His shot chart uh, for the Orlando game isn't up on B-ball reference yet, but uh, he only took two shots in the paint, but he also attempted uh, four free throws, so it's... Uh, it was an encouraging sign, and his uh, per 36 uh, free throw attempts were, were in line with his career numbers. So all in all, I think it was um, really better than I expected. Yeah, I uh, I got to say, impressed me as well as a guy who missed as much time as he did coming into a brand new environment with brand new teammates to already do what we got used to seeing him do last year is really cool um already seems like he's at home with the Cavs. uh there's already some chemistry there both last night he played in the starting lineup and last week he got some minutes both with some starters and some rotational guys it is 
you know, it's just good to see. And hopefully there's no setbacks for him moving forward. He starts pushing into the mid to upper 20s. Uh, I mean, you mentioned his shot chart, and just staring at it now, he's been able to try out the range. Uh, you know, he's a little under 50% from three, so so not a large sample size, obviously, but he's also already showed us that he, he's going to be doing exactly what he did last year, letting it fly from deep. And he's already taken it to, to the hole a couple times and just done Isaiah Thomas things, so... Cool to see. Definitely makes Cleveland very dangerous. Um, on paper, it seemed like that was possible, and now in reality, it, it's going to be the case that with him on the floor, they are going to be a problem for any team playing against them, trying to keep them under, I mean, 120 points. Yeah, and one more thing before we move on from IT is, you know, we also talked last week about... Uh, Jay Crowder's struggles this season. I wonder if IT coming back will will help Jay play a lot better. Um, you know, since they did have a few years together in Boston, they do have an established chemistry. And uh, if you just look at uh, what Crowder did in uh, against uh, Portland, he scored 17 points. That was one off his season high. He made a season high of threes, and he uh, had a 660 true shooting percentage. Um, you know, again, that was only uh, you know IT's first game back, but. I think you know that if Jay is gonna is gonna turn the season around, it, it's gonna be now that he's playing with a guy who he's uh, who he's been used to being with. Excellent point. Definitely a beacon of hope there for for Jay Crowder, who we were both very low on, and anybody with a pair of eyes who can read a box score would be low on at this point this season. <laughs> um, hopefully, it can can unlock some easier looks for Crowder and find him in some of his favorite spots that IT knows well from a couple years playing together. I will say I uh, was fortunate enough to be in attendance at the Cavs-Celtics game last Wednesday. Um, they gave Jay Crowder that little tribute video. He It was not his night. First of all, they gave him the video while he was being announced, and he didn't get to see it. Um, beyond that, he played horrifically. He didn't score any points until garbage time in the fourth. He hit, I think, one free throw, possibly two. Uh, just looked bad. Missed a dunk. Um, uncontested. Just uh, looked terrible. And it was kind of Jay Crowder's season in a nutshell, returning to Boston. He had some quotes afterward that he really hated to play that poorly in his return to Boston. I, uh, I feel for the guy. But enough about the Cavs. We are going to move on to some storylines that we haven't really thrown a lot of attention on so far in our, our few episodes, and I'm so excited to be just talking about some, some other teams that aren't necessarily at the top of the standings, just because uh, I, I really am. It, it, the NBA, for folks like us who are just dorks about it, the, there's storylines everywhere, and there's fascination even at the very bottom, and that's where we're going now with the Lakers, who have dropped their last nine. Uh that there's there's not too much good going on here, but there's plenty going on in in a team that has not won a game yet in 2018 and hasn't won since before Christmas. What are you seeing from the reeling Los Angeles Lakers? Well, what's been interesting to me about this stretch is is they missed uh, Lonzo Ball for uh, I think five games of, of this nine game losing streak. Um, and just quickly to go over, you know, a few of their other fundamentals, they have the worst offense in the league by by a mile um their defense is, has held around league average um which is somewhat surprising considering their youth um but they're uh they're down to last in the west at 11 to 27 and this was a team where you know beginning of november people were suspecting they might challenge for a playoff berth that completely uh went down the tubes um they're also worst in uh three point percentage and they're uh, 21st in three-point attempts rate, so that their offense is just fundamentally uh, bad. They're last in, in turnover percentage. Um, but but without Lonzo, uh, what was really interesting to me was how bad their defense got. Um, in, the, in the games he was out, their defensive rating was 124.5, yeah. which is just atrocious. And their offense uh, cropped up to about league average, but... It's interesting to me because when you look at Lonzo, he's not 
yeah, obviously everyone talks about the poor shooting this year, his, his uh, 430 tr- uh, true shooting percentage. You know, he hasn't really been giving them any value offensively, but just looking at him physically, you wouldn't think uh, he's a positive defensive player, especially considering he's a rookie point guard, and those types of players typically struggle uh, on defense. But it, it, it seems to me like whatever it is, and I'm not quite sure what, because he's not a great one-on-one defender, but there is something about him that is integral to them having at least an average defense. Um, you know, you look at his at his stats, his, his defensive rebounding rate is 18.1, fourth, uh, third among point guards, which is outstanding, second among point guards in block rate behind only John Wall. Um, you know, but individual defensive stats uh, are a little fuzzy, and, and to me that, that suggests that he might uh, – be later in his career a really good team defender, a good health defender. Uh, but it was just interesting to me how bad their defense got when he was out of the lineup. Uh, yeah, there's definitely some merit. Even though coming into the league, I never looked at Lonzo as like some kind of shutdown defensive savant or anything. I mean, you mentioned the rebounds. Per 36, he's averaging six defensive rebounds per game. That's fourth on the team. That's on, below Andrew Bogut, who's no longer a Laker, Julius Randle, and Larry Nance. And that's above some larger guys like Brooke Lopez and, and Zubac, who's Zubac, however you want to say his name, who's only played 10 games. Um, so certainly his length, his positioning is helpful just just uh, in general. I think maybe there's also just something intangible with, with Lonzo that, that I can't really speak to and... I didn't get that sense that he had any intangible leadership qualities or or anything like that. I mean, the guy has terrible taste in rap music and and all other kinds of things that wouldn't lead me to think of him as some great leader. But I don't know, man. I I think uh, for all the the buzz about how good Kyle Kuzma has been, it, Kuzma's been in there the whole time during the nine game losing streak. Lonzo is the one who who got hurt, and then things really took a turn for the worse. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I wanted to throw by you real quick. Our our big baller Lithuanian ambassador, LeVar Ball, <laughs> thinks that Luke Walton has lost the locker room. What, uh, what do you think about that? You know, that's obviously hard to speak to, not, not being in the locker room, but I wouldn't take any – credence I, I wouldn't give that any credence just because you know lavar is kind of your stereotypical health dad the only difference is his kid is as good as he thinks he is <laughs> um but you know parents like that and i i encountered a lot of them uh covering prep sports uh you know a couple years ago will they will say you know anything that you know help helps make their kid look better or you know, puts the blame on someone other than, than their kid. And I, I think that's what he's doing. You know, everyone is frustrated with, with how, how much they've been losing lately. And, you know, I don't think Luke Wal- Walton is a bad coach. I think he's a, a, a promising coach. I've had some problems with his uh, end-of-game decisions. There are a couple close games where he's uh, called a timeout to set up a final possession instead of letting his guys run and, and try to get a shot out in, uh, in transition. But other than that, I think, you know, I think he's been doing a good job with a, a pretty young, uh, inexperienced, and just plain old bad roster. Um, and going back to Lonzo a little bit, you know, what she said about intangibles is interesting because he is such a smart player, and the way he can see plays before they develop on offense, you know, with, with his uh, savant-like passing ability, Makes me think that he might have a little bit of that on defense as well, where he can, he can see what the offense is doing, uh, you know, but a second before it develops, and he's able to react more quickly and overcome some of his limited physical tools um, using his mind. Um, so that that could be it. It'll be interesting to see what type of a defender he develops into over the course of his career. For sure, uh, it reminds me of. of another guy similarly kind of freakish athletically rondo uh rajon rondo used to be known as a world-class defender but ever since he tore his acl either he hasn't tried as hard or he never got back his athleticism or both but just think about last year the bulls celtics playoff series rondo was wreaking havoc on defense simply through 
through film study and knowing exactly what the Celtics were going to run every time they came up on offense, he was jumping passing lanes and getting a lot of turnovers and, and yelling at his teammates to go where he knew the ball was going. Um, yeah. Crazy stuff like that is not Rondo being an athletic freak. It's him being cerebral and uh, connect for Titan and whatever else <laughs> you want to say about Rajon Rondo. But we'll keep an eye on the Lakers. Uh, one last thing. I mean, if you look at the anatomy of this, they've lost their last nine. And actually, it goes back to December 12th. They have lost. 12 of their last 13. Um, some of these have been very close. They lost to Golden State by 7. The next night they lost to Portland by 3. They lost to Houston on December 31st by 6. So, I mean, I don't know these games very closely. Maybe those are blowouts where they snuck back in at the end to make it look good. But uh, in general, even though the last three games they've lost by at least 14 points and two of those games they've lost by more than 20, what can they do to get back to either closer games that they're losing or maybe even winning some games if that's a thing that's possible for them? Well, I think having Lonzo back helps. And, you know, it when when Brooke, when Brooke Lopez sprained his ankle, that, that was that was really bad for them because, yeah, he, he wasn't closing games. He really wasn't even closing first halves. But, um, you know, he just gave them another guy to, to throw out there. And with him out, everyone else has had to move up in the rotation, and it's not that, you know, Julius Randle couldn't handle it, it's that that meant they had to play Andrew Bogut, even though, you know, they aren't going to be doing that anymore. Um, yeah, I think at this point, you know, it's time to punt on any thought of, you know, winning, and I think these next, these, these last few months just need to be about experimentation, finding out what combinations of lineups work, what don't, and, uh, you know, who is going to be a part of the team's long-term future um you know, i thought julius randall has played really well all season um i'd like to see him you know get some more of a run you know try him as a starting center which i, I think they've done in a couple games um but yeah from here on out they just need to find you know find out who's going to be a part of their future and 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 go with it and you got to think that that magic and and uh rob Lowe or rob Planka <laughs> are going to be uh cooking something up for sure. Um, man, I uh, looking at this team ahead of the the podcast, I was just going over the roster and kind of forgot they had Tyler Ennis. Tyler Ennis is already a journeyman. He's been on four teams in three seasons, the poor bastard. He, I, I honestly forgot he wasn't on Phoenix anymore. He got traded from Phoenix to Milwaukee, from Milwaukee to Houston, and then he was in the Lou Williams deal that brought him over to L.A., I mean, yeah. God, the, the <laughs> I can't believe it's already his third year in the league, nonetheless, that he's been on four teams. But uh, that's a random side note. I, uh, I too, just want to see them try some lineups and see who works and who doesn't and whether keeping some of those core guys is tenable, whether, you know, you, you try enough Clarkson, Ingram, Lonzo lineups to see if they can share the ball well enough or whether you try guys like Randall and Nance side by side with Randall at center like you mentioned see if that's got some some run moving forward I I personally am not the biggest fan of Randall I just think he's too inconsistent I know a guy that you and I are both big fans of Zach Love the Zach Love Zach Lowe uh will die on Julius Randall Hill on Julius Randall Island whatever you want to call it and that's cool but uh He's just not for me. I, I just think that the flashes of athleticism don't outweigh his inconsistency. Um, that's all I got on the Lakers, though. Anything else from you before we move on? Nah. Okay. All right, Los Angeles, till next time. Keep keep dropping those games and give the Celtics Michael Porter Jr. Sounds good to me. Uh, <laughs> the most recent defeat for the Lakers came at the hands of Charlotte, who we're going to chat about now. That was actually just... Uh, Friday, the Lakers lost to Charlotte, ninety-four to one hundred eight. Um, just kind of, <clears throat> kind of a game that the Lakers w w were were in a little bit, but not not too much. And uh, Charlotte spread the love in this one. Kemba led the way for them with nineteen points, but close behind, Marvin Williams had sixteen. Dwight, the Dwight Mayor, had fifteen, received a round of booze. Jeremy Lamb came off the bench, scored seventeen. Um, 
the Hornets are kind of in a curious place right now, Tommy. I look at Kemba Walker, and even though it's not the best comparison, I kind of see a situation not too different from what has become the case in Memphis with another point guard who never quite has become the, the toast of his conference, Mike Conley, but uh, also is a very good. Now Mike Conley's a better defender and I think has a higher ceiling than Kemba. Um, with that said, Charlotte seems like they're in a similar place where they've got some useful pieces, but uh, they don't quite fit the puzzle. Where where do you see things in Charlotte right now? Yeah, that, that's an interesting comparison to make um especially because of how much they suck without Kemba um it's just there's no other way to put it um his on-off rating is is plus 18.9 which is astronomical and you know those numbers can get a little bit noisy but when Kemba's on the court they have a 111.7 offensive rating which would be sixth in the league and with him off the court their offensive rating is 96.8 uh, which would be the, yeah the worst in, in the NBA by almost seven points per hundred possessions. I mean, it, it, I I haven't you know looked at all the numbers, but I, I don't think there would be a more drastic drop for any rotation player uh, in, in the league. It, it's it's absurd um, how bad their offense gets. And you know the problem is their other high usage offensive players have just been completely inefficient. Um, Marvin Williams is having a nice shooting season, but he's, you know, he's kind of a bit part. Uh, you know, Nicola Platoum is having, I think, the worst offensive season of his career, shooting uh, 29% from three, which is far below his career average. Only uh, 50% true shooting for him. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams, their erstwhile backup point guard, 41% true shooting, just awful. Um, and, you know, Malik Monk, who I thought was a great uh, steal of the draft at, at number 11, um, only 45% true shooting, and in the last 10 games, he's uh, only playing six and a half minutes per game, and he's got four DNPs. Um, so he's he's has really been uh, disappointing this year, even though it's far too soon to give up on him. Um, but the the, the 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 fact is that without Kemba, without Kemba on the court, they really can do nothing right, and they because of the contracts they've given out over the past few years, they don't have the flexibility to really build a better team around Kemba in the near future, which is why you've been hearing rumors, you know, about Kemba possibly being on the trade block uh, as the deadline comes up. That would just be bizarre, seeing Kemba in a, in a different jersey. Um, I don't know what kind of return they would need to get for that to make it worthwhile, but, I mean, really, the... All those things you mentioned is not a very optimistic picture. In so many ways, their league average are worse. Just looking at basic things like their points per game, 105, ranks them 17th in the league, and their opponent's points per game, 106, ranks them 16th in the league. So there's nothing exceptional about them. There's nothing very, very bad. But, but um, I mean, right now, yeah. they're five games out of the playoffs in the East. They, they, would, they need some serious work. You mentioned Monk. I mean, that just... I am miffed that he's getting the minutes that he's getting. He hasn't played more than 10 minutes in a game since the second week of December. He played 19 minutes against the Lakers. Since then, it's been 6 minutes, 5 minutes, 9 minutes, 3 minutes. Oh, excuse me. He played 14 minutes against Toronto a week and a half ago. But besides that, 9 minutes... Two minutes against Milwaukee. You mentioned the three DNPs. He didn't play against Boston, Golden State, or LA. And then a combined eight minutes in the last two games. That's just not like, okay, it's one thing if you're fighting for like home court in the Eastern Conference and, you know, like they have been the last couple years, or at least one of the last couple years. It always feels like they could be doing that, but they only really were in that kind of battle a couple years ago when there ended up being that four way tied for the three through six seeds. Uh, I digress. It's just bizarre that Monk is not st- starting. Like, I guess since you paid Batum all those minute, all the, that money, you got to start him. But what's is Batum the future of your team? He's already seems to be past his prime and seems to not give a shit because he got that contract. So I don't know why you would start him 
over Jeremy Lamb even, who's 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 played in most of their games this season, but only started 14. And I mean, Lamb's playing half decent, shooting 35% from three, 45 from the field, and almost five rebounds a game. So I don't know, just weird. Uh, there's always weird stuff going on with the Hornets, and I think that just is because Michael Jordan makes weird decisions that the rest of the team has to <laughs> abide by, like not accepting the giant trade haul for the pick that ended up becoming Frank Kaminsky, even though he's been a serviceable pro. So, um, I mean, you mentioned a possible Kemba trade. What would that look like to you? Do you have any potential destinations or, or anything they should be looking for in return? Um, I, I would look for I would look for a, you know, a young asset and a draft pick, um, and I know that's that's easy to say, but I think it's it's I think they could potentially get that for Kemba um, because he has two years left on his on his contract at twelve million per, and that's a, a steal for an All Star caliber point guard. Um, and you, you look around, there are a ton of teams that, that need one. Um, you know, Denver, who we're going to talk about in, in a second, is, is a team who I think would be really intriguing for uh, for Kemba. Um, you know, even though their their point guard situation has improved somewhat, um, but you know Denver could send uh, you know Plumley and a, and a first. I'm not, I'm not saying Charlotte would take that; they shouldn't. But uh, you know the salaries would match. Um, yeah, I, I think really I, I think the return they get from Kemba matters less than you know what it would do for them. Is they're not going to make the playoffs this year and. They're close enough to the bottom of the East, uh, where because they're because they have their own draft pick, it behooves them to lose this year and to try and get you know one of those into the top seven, uh, top six to get a chance at one of these these guys who uh, could be a superstar at the top of the draft. Um, and I just want to touch a little bit about uh, on what you said about Monk. Uh, it is bizarre that he's not playing. Uh, you know. Carter Williams has, has been a disaster. Batum has been declining statistically every year since uh, his last year in, in, in Portland. And, you know, Monk isn't going to develop into the player he could be if he's getting six minutes a game, you know, getting a DMP every other night. I wonder if Steve Clifford were still coaching instead of on, on his medical leave, um, if, if uh, Monk would be playing more. Uh, I wonder if... if uh, you know, Steven Silas as an interim coach is kind of taking a less risky approach and playing uh, more established players, even if those established players are really um, not good at all. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that you talked about Kaminsky, too, because they're, uh, I think that might be the one big mistake this franchise has made uh, in the past half decade, was not accepting that trade offer. Um, and even if they had kept that pick, uh, you know there are some good players after after Kaminsky who they passed who they passed on. Um, Miles Turner, Devin Booker, uh, Kelly Oubre, uh, Terry Rozier were all on the board at that time. And if if you go back even to uh, to 2012, they have not well they've not drafted awfully, and a lot of their draft picks are still contributing to their roster. They, they took the, the guys they took. Uh, they took over much better players um, who went just a few picks afterwards. Uh, 2012, they took Kid Gilchrist second with uh, Bradley Beal and uh, Dame Lillard still on the board. Uh, they took Tyler Zeller over uh, KCP, uh, CJ McCollum, uh, and Giannis. Um, and Vonley, who they, who they traded to Portland for uh, Batum, um, Dario Saric, uh, Zach Levine, Gary Harris were all on the board at the time. Um, and, and then they've kind of doubled down on those poor draft picks by giving guys like uh, MKG and Zeller contract extensions um, that are really above above their market value. Now Zeller at twelve and a half million a year, MKG at thirteen, uh, and then that's not even talking about the, the twenty two and a half million they're playing they're paying Batum, um, you know, which they had to give him that contract to justify uh, the trade they made, uh, but it was not really a wise long-term decision um so it that's kind of a long tangent but if, if they were going to unload Kemba somewhere what what would you like to see happen boy that's a 
that I I like what you were thinking. Um, it's really hard for me to see them finding a deal that was worth it, though, because he feels kind of like the only surefire thing this franchise can can build anything around over the next five years. I mean, I, I, I'm not super familiar with his contract, but he feels like the kind of guy who would stick around as long as they paid him because um, they gave him time to develop, and he really has taken strides there. So I, I assume he's got a good relationship with the team, but I don't know that for sure. Um, ugh, I, I, I don't see them trading him. I, I just... Seems like Jordan likes him too, so Jordan would nix that. Um... God, you're right, though, that they're just hamstrung with some of those moves they've made. MKG, they, a couple years ago, felt like they were about to take this really exciting turning point where MKG was hurt that one year, and they was like, okay, if he just comes back, we've got Kemba, we've got Batum, we've got we got Marvin Williams, we've got some pieces here that can really contribute to a playoff contender and then next thing you know they had to make a big splash and trade for Dwight Howard which is just never historically proven to be a good idea even though he's playing fine this year I guess is he if they're not even in the playoff picture I mean I guess not but it's just kind of a bummer it I, I don't know what the hell you do I, I don't know what I'm bummed too because um, you know, hopefully Steve Clifford can come back healthy but Steven Silas getting this shot was cool as a silver lining, uh, Paul Flannery wrote a great feature about him just a couple weeks before Silas stepped into this interim head coaching role. And the bizarre thing is, in that profile, Flannery talked about how Silas has such a great relationship with all the players and goes over film with them, including Monk. There's literally, part of it is an anecdote about Silas sitting with Monk and watching film. So for him to come in and not give Monk the developmental minutes that he clearly needs to... to like you said, find his potential as an NBA player that we all saw and all thought he was a steal as the 11th pick in the draft just blows my mind. And and I think you can tell by my tone of voice, it, it kind of pisses me off. Yeah, yeah, and it, it doesn't make, make sense not only from the developmental standpoint, but from the, the standpoint of their offense is so bad. They need a secondary creator, and Monk is the only person on their roster with the potential to be that that player, you know, they, they, they thought that's what they were getting in Batum, um, but he's he's regressed so far, uh, so badly as, as a scorer, to where his passing and his ball handling are kind of irrelevant, because you can't be an effective secondary facilitator if you're not a threat to score off the catch, to, to make a catch and shoot three, or to pump and drive, draw the defense into you, and then, and then uh, make a pass off of that. Uh, you know, Monk is really the only guy who could potentially become that. You've seen that Kentucky that he's he's a deadly shooter. You know, he's he's an okay finisher, but he's a he's a freak athlete. And uh, you know, there was a lot of talk in the draft that he had kind of untapped point guard potential that he just never got to show in, in college. So uh, I don't know why he's not uh, given more free reign to run uh, the Hornets' second unit. I. Uh... I don't either, man. It it's a bummer. It's uh, I don't know why you want to throw sixteen minutes a game to Michael Carter Williams, who we already know his ceiling basically, and just let Malik Monk flounder on the bench. But maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe I mean I know he had some. I think it was knee issues back in preseason. Maybe there's something lingering from that. Maybe he's a malcontent. Maybe uh, you know Stephen Silas forgot he's on the roster. I don't know. But, uh, it, oh man, I just took, I was so excited to talk about some of these teams and now I'm just bummed. I, I, uh, <laughs> ugh, I, I gotta go light some candles and take a bath. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Pour one out for Kemba. I know. Bad. I, let's hope, let's hope they, they just put some exciting talent, not just around him, but actually on the court with him because he's fun to watch. Anyway, yeah. on to, uh. Onto a situation with a little more more hope attached to it. Your hometown team and a team I got to know pretty well, living in Colorado for four years, uh, the Denver Nuggets, who are currently above 500. They're 21 yes. and 18. They uh, kind of an up and down season with regard to expectation versus reality. With Paul Millsap having his 
injury. He's going to be out for a few months. Um, there was kind of talk as to who's going to take the step forward in the backcourt, Moutier or Murray. Um, there was the weirdness surrounding them moving on from, uh, oh, spacing on his name. Who's that point Jameer guard? Jameer Nelson. Jameer Nelson, who seemed to have a lot of respect in that locker room and, and, uh, was well liked by everyone. Um, only to give Richard Jefferson a roster spot and a bunch of DNPs. <laughs> what, uh, most recently on Friday, they beat Utah 99-91 to in a great Trey Lyles revenge game. What? Yeah. What really? We can go a million directions here. Where do you want to start? What are you seeing out of the Nuggets this year, and do you like it, or is, are you hoping for more? Well, I'm just curious. When you texted me that you wanted to talk about the Nuggets, you said that you had a million questions about that box score from Den. Friday, Bring your million questions. I'm interested to hear them. Of course, yeah. Happy to start there. Um, so, like I said, they beat Utah 99-91. Um, I have a bunch of questions about the DNPs. So, guys not getting any minutes in this game, all listed as DNP coach's decision. Emmanuel Moutier, Richard Jefferson, Kenneth Freed, and Darrell Arthur. So, yes. there's some guys. Fareed, you've got tied up in a contract that it's fine because the salary cap's grown so much, but but it's still a lot of money to give a guy who's getting a DNP. Um, Richard Jefferson, we just mentioned, got signed so Jameer Nelson would be cut or vice versa. Manuel Moutier, coming into this year, was considered to be possibly one of the franchise's futures. And I don't mind Darrell Arthur. I think he could be a rotational guy, but all four of those guys haven't played this game, and I checked some recent box scores. It's been the same thing, at least in the last game and in some previous games as well. What's What's going on there? Well, I guess let, let's start with with the big ones, and that's that's uh, Fareed, um, who's kind of been in and out of, of Mike Malone's rotation since he became the coach, and that that's a little hard to explain um, because he he you know he was a he did really well as the backup center last year before the Nuggets traded for uh, Miles Plumley or Mason Plumley. I, Whichever Plumley, Mason. Uh, they're they're all the same. <laughs> um, and I, I think the thinking is that they don't they don't like playing a lot of uh, traditional bigs. Really, you know, Jokic and Plumley are the only traditional bigs who, who they play. And they like Plumley um, as that second unit center because he recreates uh, some of Jokic's facilitation just with his. Uh, passing ability, and Fareed doesn't do that. You know, Fareed is just going to be a rim runner and, and, and dunk, and, and that's that's it. Now, I, I think that's Mike Malone's reasoning, but I really don't agree with it, um, mostly because I think Fareed is just a better player than Plumlee. Um, I think he's a, definitely a better offensive player with his ability to catch lobs and uh, uh, out of the pick and roll and to hang around that dunker spot along the baseline and... Um, there's a really interesting article um, last year about the gravity of Kenneth Fareed and how he's such a good cutter and such a good uh, dunker, and he times his cuts so perfectly that even though he has no offensive range outside of the paint, he carries the defense with him, and they're forced to react to him just because he's so smart. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I don't agree with, with Malone's reasoning on that. I don't. Well, Plumlee is probably my least favorite player to watch in in the entire league, um, just because from he really does nothing from a standpoint, from an offensive standpoint other than pass. He's a big white Rondo, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is the best way I can put it. Where he'll, he'll he'll hog the ball and he'll hunt for the perfect assist opportunity before he passes it. He's not the type of touch and go facilitator that that Jokic is, and he really offers nothing else. Uh, Offensively, he doesn't score. He's uh, he's at. Let me look at it. Uh, Five thirty-seven true shooting, which is below average. He's a forty percent free throw shooter, which is horrendous. Um, he only shoots sixty-seven uh, percent at the rim, which is not good for a center. Um, and he turns it over a, a ton. He has a higher turnover rate than uh, than usage. Um, so he really doesn't add add much. And uh, the the we can. A minute. The lineups with him and Jokic, because they've been starting together uh, for the past nine games, have been positive. Um, but uh, Plumlee's 
really been dragging them down. Um, but sorry, that was that was long winded. But to get to Moutier, um, I, the Nuggets are just coming around to the fact that he's not a positive player. Um, he's been shooting it better this year. He's been shooting around forty one percent from three, uh, which is much better than he has the rest of his career. But if you look at the on off numbers, every single Nuggets player has a worse uh, net rating when they play with Emmanuel Moutier. And that's it was that case. It was the case his rookie year. It was that case uh, last year, and it's that case again this year. And I think it's just to the point where uh, he, he's become unplayable in spite of the you know minuscule improvements he's made this season. Wow, that's a uh, that sucks because he does have some serious scoring talent. I remember a game last year where. The Nuggets, I believe, were in Boston playing the Celtics, and he just dropped, like, 15 points in the first quarter doing everything. He literally showed every facet of the game. I don't remember a post-up, but I remember him scoring on a fast break, scoring off a pick-and-roll, scoring an off-the-dribble three, and also he had some good passes. So that's a guy who had some flashes from my memory, but that... uh. I mean, that, that plus-minus number about every single player on the team is pretty damning, and that that alone can back up Malone's decision to bench him. Back to Fareed for a second. That, uh... I just remember a couple years ago, he was one of the top names in trade discussions, and I always felt like the Raptors should have snagged him. Eventually, they ended up grabbing Serge Ibaka, and that's worked out well for them. But Fareed, in my mind, still feels almost like a Toronto Raptor because he just seemed like he would have been such a good fit <laughs> going there after the Damari Carroll thing didn't really work out. Um, even before that, even going back that far, back when it was always, are the Nuggets going to keep Ty Lawson and Kenneth Fareed? Are those guys the core? And man, how funny it is to think about that now. But um, interesting to, to, to look at some guys who... Don't get minutes on the Nuggets. Now, you already went out, went a little bit into how they're starting Plumlee and Jokic, how the front court kind of operates with the Nuggets in a very central focal point role, be it Jokic or Plumlee, um, or I guess even Trey Lyles. But I want to ask about Jamal Murray, kind of about the backcourt in general, but I want to focus on Murray because he seems to have broken out a bit over the last couple weeks mentioned Trey Lyles put up 26 in his Utah revenge game, but Murray also had 26 on 9 of 13 shooting, 6 of 7 from 3. Murray has been very exciting this season. Seems like he's a guy that, with Jokic, can be foundational moving forward. What are your thoughts on him as a leader and as somebody that Malone can build an offense around along with Jokic? Yeah, I've been really impressed with Murray this year. Um, you know, he had an up-and-down rookie season, but he showed some potential, um, you know, so, so as a finisher, and obviously his shooting is the big thing. He has such a beautiful jump shot. And he's only shooting 36% from three this year, which is right around league average. Uh, but he's he takes about six attempts per game, and a lot of them are high high degree of difficulty. He takes pull-up threes in transition, takes pull-up three that pick-and-roll in addition to his normal uh, spot-up looks. Um, I think he's showing that he can be uh, a, a pretty ideal complement to Nikola Jokic because the Nuggets don't need a point guard who's going to run the offense. They need a point guard who can score off of the looks that Jokic creates them. And, and Murray has shown this year that he's absolutely capable of that. You know, He's got his true shooting up to uh, 57%. I think he's really had a had a pretty outstanding year. Uh, you mentioned um, uh, Trey Lyles; he's just been shooting the bejesus out of it from three. Um, Gary Harris has been having another a good year, you know, living up to the big contract extension he got in the off off season. Sixty uh, percent true shooting. He's also shooting thirty eight percent from three on about six attempts per game. Um, you know, those two have been a, just a phenomenal uh, starting backcourt. Definitely. Uh... It was exciting to see Gary Harris get that contract because feels like things happened so fast from him seeming like a bust in that horrendous first season to him all of a sudden figuring it out and being that awesome shooter. And uh seems like that was the right thing for the Nuggets to do, just lock it in. Um, 
One other question I had, just kind of looking at the contracts moving forward, uh, looks like Will the Thrill is about to be on the open market, although they do, well, they previously signed him using his bird rights. Do you think with all the different options they've got for scoring and ball handling, Will Barton will still have a role on this team after this year? I hope so, but I don't think I don't think they'll be able to keep him because of the price he's going to fetch. Um, but he's been a really, really valuable player to this team. I mean, not just his uh, 14.8 points per game, um, but the kind of energy and reckless abandon that he plays with all um, there are a lot of games where, where the Nuggets kind of look dead in the water, and then he comes in and scores a bunch of points in a hurry and kind of uh, you know injects some life into a, into a game they're starting to fall out of. Um, you know he's capable of playing the one through the three, which not many players are. He's really been their backup point guard since uh, Moutier has fallen out of the rotation. Um, he's just been an incredibly versatile offensive player. Uh, he can score at all three levels. Um, sometimes he holds the ball, you know, a little too long uh, for my taste. But uh, I think he's been a, a pretty positive player. Of course, uh, you know, when you start, you, there, there's a, a lot of the good when you talk about uh, the Nuggets kind of trio trio of uh, guards, and, uh, and I guess Harris and and, uh, and uh, Barton are, are, are wings. But um, when you start talking about the defensive side of the ball, it's not as pretty. Um, you know, Barton's kind of a limited, has defensive potential, um, but he, he struggles with effort and he's just still incredibly young. Um, he's still, you know, learning how to, uh, play defense, but he struggles to fight over screens sometimes. Um, he doesn't always give, give maximum effort. And then Harry, defender as, as his reputation, um, you know, I can't help but think back to the, uh, game where Victor Oladipo gave him 47, um, but it's, it's not just that, uh, you know, it's, it's not an effort question, I think there are just a lot of matchups against which he is uh, very physically limited, and, and he's still young too, but um, I think the reputation has kind of exceeded the truth uh, in his case, and you've kind of seen since, since Paul Millsap has been hurt that the Nuggets defense has, has slipped, you know, from a top 10 unit back to about league average, uh, which is still much better than it was last year. Um, but they don't really have uh, the guards uh, or the wings to play at an elite defensive level uh, without a standout defender like Millsap uh, back there to clean up their mistakes. And Millsap, uh, mentioned earlier he's been out with that wrist injury since November, should be back probably, it seems right now, sometime after the All-Star break, so March maybe end of February. I don't, I doesn't seem like there's any super recent updates on that. I'm also curious, uh, a couple more questions on the Nuggets. First, um, they are second only to the Spurs with the fewest fouls per game. They've got just over 17 personal fouls per game. So seemingly a pretty disciplined squad, definitely a number you want, uh, sign of, I don't know, solid team defense or just not being over-eager, but at the same time, they're 24th in turnovers per game, which yep. doesn't seem super related, but to me it's related in the sense that you can show discipline on defense, but on offense, you mentioned earlier Plumlee's turning the ball over a ton. Is there anyone else or any certain offensive sets or, or uh, identity uh, aspects that you think relate to that big turnover problem? Jokic turns the ball over a ton, too. Um the reason I think his turnovers are maybe not less problematic, but just less egregious, are that his turnovers come a lot on passes, and him trying to make those Jokic plays where, uh, you know, trying to squeeze a pass into a window that, that might not be there. And a lot of that has been since since he returned from injury. It, it's taken him a while to get his timing back on some of those, you know, amazing passes that we're used to seeing him throw. Uh, with Plumlee, the turnovers come... Well, pretty much every damn time he posts up, he gets stripped. Um, he, he turns it over a lot on, on offensive rebounds, too, um, when he uh, brings the ball down instead of just going right back up and, and putting it back for a layup or a dunk. Um, he he, he kind of has, has stone hands. Um, so a lot of his turnovers are come, again, from 
post-ups, uh, offensive rebounds from trying to catch a lob, fumbling a pass. Uh, to me, that's less forgivable than turning it over because you were trying to make a play. Um, yeah, their, tur- their turnovers have been problematic. Um, one interesting nugget, <laughs> that I saw that I saw um, on looking at NBA.com playtype data last night is the Nuggets are uh, the most efficient team on cuts in the in, in the NBA, um, both in terms of points per possession and uh, true shooting percentage. But they're in the bottom third of the league in shots taken off cuts, uh, and. It, it makes sense that they would be so good at that. We, you know, when you have Jokic running the show, um, guys going back door off, you know, working a dribble handoff uh, with guys. But you know, Harris and Murray have especially have great cutting chemistry with Jokic. Um, so I'd like to see them do some more of that. Um, and I think starting Plumley really hurts their ability to cut because he's one more guy hanging out inside the three point line and bringing his defender in there. You know, rather than you know, last year where they had uh, Gallinari and Chandler uh, were both, you know, at least average three-point shooters, and they would spread the defense out more for guys like Murray and Harris uh, to make those cuts. Um, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about about this Jokic-Plumley combination, because last year it was really, uh, it was not good. This year, uh, they're plus 2.4 uh, as, a, as a two-man group. Um, and interesting. Nuggets defense with those two guys on the court, uh, 103.4 per 100 possessions, which is top five in the league. Um, but their offense, uh, 105.8 per 100 possessions, would be his bottom five with those two guys on the court. Um, so, uh, you know, while they have a positive, you know, net rating, if, if you look into it a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, more, uh, the Nuggets actually have a, a better defense when Jokic plays alone than they do when he plays with Plumlee. And some of that might be because he played a lot of minutes with Millsap uh, before Millsap got hurt. But Jokic's true shooting is 10 percentage points worse when he shares the court with Plumlee. Uh, Gary Harris has a lower true shooting when he shares the court with uh, uh, Plumlee. You know, I, I really don't see what Mike Malone is doing starting those two guys together uh, just because I, I don't, I, I think a lot of the positivity in those lineups comes from Jokic being on the court, from Harris being on the court, from Murray being on the court. I don't think Plumlee has a lot to do with it. I think he's really dragging their starting lineup down um, in terms of its uh, efficiency and in what it, what is capable of offensively. Um, you know, so I'd love to see them give another guy uh, a chance. You know, maybe Trey Lyles, uh, even Fareed, I think would be better. We talked a little bit earlier about the gravity of, of his cutting. Um, you know, but I think especially Lyles deserves a shot. You know, Torrey Craig, the two-way player, got some run as a starter. I don't think he is a starter. I would love to see Malik Beasley, um, you know, maybe get a chance in some small ball lineups. But uh, to me, Plumley as a starter is not the answer. I think he should really be playing as little as possible. Because um, I'm, I'm just not quite sure aside from the occasional assist, what he contributes to winning basketball. Well, it is odd. Um, and, and wow, you just took a flamethrower to Mason Plumley. Um, yeah, can you, can you tell I don't like that guy? Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure he's a nice guy. He's just, he, he's just probably, like I said earlier, probably uh, my least favorite player to watch. Um, and his, his contract, uh, $13 million a year for, for three years that he was given when he had absolutely no leverage, when the Nuggets could have tendered him a qualifying offer and, and kept him on the team for about $4 million a year, uh, his contract makes the situation much worse. Just bizarre. Just just makes me wonder who in the Nuggets front office owed Mike Krzyzewski a favor. Cause, yeah, like, like what, what kind of uh, incriminating evidence do, does his agent have on Tim Connolly? <laughs> like, I'd, I'd love to know. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, just going off the Plumley thing, it, it's weird that he's in the starting lineup but then only plays like 20 minutes a game. It's almost like Malone recognizes he needs to play him for whatever reason, because of the contract, because Millsap's hurt, whatever, but he wants to he, he wants to put him in situations where he'll do as little damage as possible. 
Um, as opposed to trying to maximize others, he's just like, oh, well, these other four guys are good, so that's a good time to put Mason on the court when nothing too bad can happen. Um, just looking at even his last four, three or four games, I mean, the dude does provide some rim protection. He had five blocks against Phoenix. C kind of a curious stat line for him against Phoenix. Seven points, eight rebounds, six assists, five blocks. Halfway to a quadruple double there, Mason. Nice work. But um, <laughs> seems to me, based on what you just just kind of constructed and what looking at this roster tells me, when Millsap comes back, even though Millsap's not a center, maybe he'll be taking a lot of these Plumley minutes, or maybe as the season goes on, Trey Lyles starts taking some of those Plumley minutes. I don't know what what kind of a solution is there, and is that a good thing if you're just shoving Jokic at center more? I I think so. Um, purely from from a spacing perspective, um, it's interesting because Trey Lyles has really been playing starters minutes uh, the past few games. He's been playing more minutes per game than Plumley. Um, Plumley's just been getting the start. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to see what what. Uh, a starting lineup with Miles and Jokic as the front court looks like. Um, and again, I think that would make uh, Murray and Chandler and Harris uh, better players just uh, because they would have more room uh, with which to operate. Um, you know, when, when Millsap comes back, yeah, I, I do hope that he takes uh, quite a few of the backup center minutes uh, because I think he and, and Jokic should be staggered uh, as much as possible. Um, I would love to see Lyles even play some backup center um, in some extreme small ball lineups. Um, you know, I think I think that could be interesting. It's, the unfortunate thing about this is that Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, because he got mono before the season, has really been unable to play uh, or play effectively when he's been available. Um, because he's another guy who, who would be, you know, who were he healthy would be playing a lot of heavy minutes at, at four and, and hopefully too a, a little bit of uh, backup five. Um, you know, but it, again, I think, I think Fareed as, as a backup five is, uh, is effective and it's something the Nuggets should, should go back to. Um, and you, you mentioned earlier how they've been trying to trade him for years. It seems if they're still trying to do that, you know, it doesn't make any sense to bury him on the bench because that only depresses his value. Um, so I think, you know, whether they're trying to, you know, put together some effective bench lineups or increase Fareed's value so they can get a better return for him, it kind of behooves them to play him. Um, so I, I think Mike Malone, on the whole, has done a very good job uh, with the Nuggets. They've gotten better every year he's been here, and this year they're obviously a playoff team. You know, he constructed a, a fantastic offense around Nikola Jokic last year. Um, but I think he still has some, he still has something to learn with, uh, with the way he manages and constructs these rotations. And, uh, I, I hope he does learn. I think, I think he will. Um, what he's done these past couple weeks is, I do have, one more question on the Nuggets, and that is Wilson okay. Chandler is yes. 30 years old. He's averaging just about 10 points and 5 rebounds per game, and he has a player option next year for $12.8 million. Will, do you think he will or should opt in? Yes, because with how he's played this year, I don't think he gets 12.8 mil on the open market. And uh, it, it, it's sad because I, I, I like Wilson Chandler, um, and I think Nuggets fans have been killing him this year. I think it's been incredibly unfair. The man has torn both his labrums and come back from it. You know, that, that is an extremely painful injury, uh, and it's a hard one to come back from when you think about just the amount that NBA players use their hips Uh and, you know, it's, it's really unfair to beat him up for it, but I just think it's reached the point where he might not be effective anymore uh, through, through no fault of his own just because, 
you know, because of health reasons. Um, so yes, I, I do think he'll pick up that that player option, um, and you know, hopefully he can turn it around in the second half of this season. Um, and if he does, then maybe he'll decline that. Um, but I think as it looks right now, that that twelve point eight player option uh, stands to make him the most money next year. So if I were him, uh, or if I were his agent, I would be telling him to pick that up. The only scenario I can imagine is if he does play even marginally better in the second half of this season and perhaps decides he would rather have the security of a longer-term deal for less money and finds a team either restructures with the Nuggets, or I guess it would be re-signing a new deal, or finds another team who says, we'll pay you less money per year, but here's a three-year contract with at least parts of that guaranteed. For a guy with that kind of injury history, maybe he would want that security. So if something happens next year, he's not out of the league forever. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I also totally hear your reasoning where somebody with that injury history who's at this point not playing his most effective basketball would have a hard time saying no to $12.8 million. So we'll see. Yeah, that, that is a good point you raised. And, you know, if he, if he can get a... Uh, you know, obviously, if he was trying to suss this out now, it'd be tampering, and nobody does that in the NBA. No, of course um, not. No, not at all. But if, uh, yeah, if, if he can get, you know, a long-term deal, you know, that maybe adds up to $12 million or a little bit more over three or four years, um, yeah, then absolutely, I think that would be uh, the way to go, um, especially if, you know, you can get, if it's fully guaranteed. Um, so, yeah, that'll that'll be interesting to see. Um because especially after signing Plumlee to that odious contract, uh, the Nuggets, you know, they could they could really use that that twelve point eight million in cap room that he would open up by opting out. They could for sure. Um, what they would use it on, I don't yet know. I don't. Uh, I, I'm not going to pretend I have a good feel for the free agency market of two thousand eighteen, but. Certainly, if this offseason upcoming is anything like this past offseason, there's going to be a flurry of activities, so they'll have some opportunities somewhere because nobody stands put anymore. There's always changes. But that's, that's, that's pretty much all we got uh, for today. Um, one last thing I'm just going to note real quick is Steph did go off last night with 45 points in three quarters. Um, yep. And he uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie's been playing great lately. He had 20 last night, and uh, he's been getting a lot of love just in general in NBA circles for his performance in Brooklyn, something that obviously excites us as Colorado Buffaloes. And by the way, the Buffaloes swept both Arizona teams in Boulder this past weekend, uh, taking down number 14 Arizona, and before that, taking down number 4 Arizona State. So pretty good. Last few days for Colorado basketball at, at all levels. Now let's just get a ski a booker on a two-way contract. Indeed. Who signed, who signed ski on a, on a two-way? Nobody did. He got traded nobody recently. Did. Of course nobody did. Yeah. I don't think he ever will get one of those. But uh, prove Plus me wrong, ski. Booker beat Kansas. Yeah, he did. We'll always have that. And, yeah, that was the one last thing I wanted to shout out to is uh, the bus for the first time ever beating two ranked opponents in a three-day span. Uh, that was pretty phenomenal. And it's, you know, we talked about Spencer Dinwiddie in our uh, first episode we did, but it's, I love seeing him succeed after everything he's been through. Uh, it's awesome seeing seeing him become the player that, uh, you know, everyone who watched him in college knew he could be. And, you know, you just hope that uh, that the man gets paid like he deserves when his contract with Brooklyn comes up and, uh, you know, after next year. If they're, uh, I don't, I think he'll be extension eligible next year. And I hope Sean Marks, uh, you know, looks into that because he seems to uh, found a uh, found a nice home there. And I think they could really use him as they start to climb out of the uh, cellar. I agree, and uh, you know when before D'Angelo Russell got hurt, they were four and eight with him as their starting point guard, and their record is better than that with Dinwiddie, um, and I guess Jeremy Lin for a time was in there as well. But definitely something to keep an eye on. Seems like Dinwiddie's carved out a future for himself in the league, and, and I too hope that something works out with Brooklyn because it seems like a good spot for him. But that actually is all we have time for for now. So 
once more, feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating if you'd like as well. You can find us on Twitter, myself, at Sam Ruthier, Tommy, at Woodstein72. Uh, Tommy, any last words? No, that's all I've got, man. It was, uh, this was fun. As always, it was an absolute delight, and we'll see what happens this week in the NBA. We'll, we'll be back about one week's time. Until then, hope everybody stays warm, stays safe, and uh, keep on hooping. We are out.